This is the FS Tech Podcast. Welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Hannah McGrath, editor of FS Tech, and thanks for joining me today for this episode looking at how financial institutions are keeping customers safe whilst reducing friction. As consumers adapt their habits and increasingly transact online, demand for digital financial services has risen exponentially. As a result, financial institutions are under pressure to provide smooth onboarding processes, featuring the most up-to-date and easy-to-use technology combined with security and compliance, or they risk losing the customer at the first hurdle. So to delve further into these challenges, we partnered with HID Global to conduct a survey to shed some light on how financial institutions in the UK and around Europe view these challenges. To discuss the results of this recent survey and key trends in the market, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Dean Stevenson, a consultant and secure identity specialist at HID Global. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, Hannah. Fantastic. Um, So I'm just going to jump straight into our first question, um, which is how have the speed and methods of digital onboarding changed for FIs in the past 18 months? Yeah, so I don't think it will come as a surprise to any of the listeners to hear that obviously the world has changed substantially in the last 18 months due to the COVID pandemic. You know, financial institutions were already well on the road to digitization before the pandemic. But this has obviously accelerated significantly in the last 18 months. Now, if we look at the onboarding processes within banking specifically, pre-pandemic, banks typically relied on a branch-centric onboarding process to verify the customer's identity prior to opening an account. So this would mean if I wanted to open an account with my local bank, I would have to go into the branch, present myself with an identity document, my passport, my driver's license, and a utility bill, in order to prove my identity to open an account. Now, obviously, if people are not able to travel to a branch due to lockdowns or they simply want to stay home, then these onboarding processes required some serious modernization. Now, in the short term, in a response to the lockdowns and the pandemic to find solutions, a lot of banks implemented patchwork fixes to address specific challenges. For example, some banks asked customers to take photos of their documents. Others implemented a remote video onboarding session designed to emulate the branch onboarding processes. And over time, these processes evolved to become largely fully automated digital onboarding workflows. So now a customer can very often download their banking app. They can click to open an account and scan their documentation and take a selfie and open an account straight away. In fact, our findings from the survey showed that 76% of banks are now targeting a customer onboarding journey that can be completed in less than one day. And that's not just retail banks. This actually includes wealth banks, corporate banks, investment banks. So this increase in onboarding speed has largely been driven by the adoption of software that can authenticate and verify documentation using artificial intelligence and machine learning which reduces the requirement for human involvement, and that leads to a fully automated onboarding workflow. So, you know, the last 18 months has really seen a decrease from onboarding times that would typically take weeks or days to now, in some cases, taking hours or even minutes. And that's largely been driven by the adoption of these new digital onboarding technologies. 
Brilliant. So, um, so how are customer attitudes to friction changing during the onboarding process and indeed throughout the customer journey? Well, surprisingly, the customer attitudes towards friction haven't really changed much, to be honest. So, for example, for the last two decades, banking customers' expectations have been shaped by the likes of Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix and Google. And this has meant that the customer tolerance to friction is incredibly low. People expect to be able to open an account and use a service within a matter of minutes, be it with one of these tech giants where you can create an account and start streaming content or shopping or, or searching for content in basically immediately, or whether it's with your local bank. So, you know, we call this the FANG effect, and that has really resulted in you know, the less steps that you can have in your customer journey, the better. And from a banking perspective, when we look at the onboarding journey, the less you expect the customer to do during that onboarding journey, the lower the abandonment rate will be. And one thing we were actually surprised to find in our survey is that there is one area that customers actually don't mind friction, and that's during the security and login processes. In fact, 54% of banks surveyed said that the customer perception to friction at these times was actually positive, which we were quite surprised to learn. So this suggests that customers don't actually mind a few extra steps when it comes to logging in or making a payment or setting up a beneficiary because it makes them feel safe and secure. And more importantly, it makes them feel like their money is safe and secure whilst they are banking online. Absolutely. So there's that that sort of reassurance that comes in with that extra layer of security. Um, and, and how important is the perception of security for building things like customer trust and customer engagement? Yeah, so I mean, this builds on nicely from the previous answer, because we actually found that 43% of banks said that the perception of security was the most important thing for their banking customers, second only to a user friendly interface. And this actually provides a bit more context as to why customers don't mind those additional steps. It's because it makes them feel more secure. It makes them see their bankers doing everything they can to keep their money safe. Because there is a difference between security and the perception of security. Now, a lot of times with these new technologies, security can actually be achieved passively. So you can have risk-based authentication, behavioral biometrics, that can collect information behind the scenes to authenticate a user. But if we're looking to achieve the perception of security, we want to not only do or achieve security passively, we want to be able to achieve it with active authentication methods, where we're prompting the user or stepping the user up to authenticate if they're performing a potentially risky transaction. So we might send them a push notification or we might request a password or an OTP or a PIN. So in a world where we're increasingly moving towards these passive risk-based authentication technologies where technically we don't even need to ask the customer for anything, many banks still actually want some active form of authentication to provide that perception of security. And I think that's really, really key to building customer trust because they feel safe and secure. And ultimately, if the customer feels safe and secure, whilst banking online, then the engagement's gonna go up because they're gonna to want to interact with that service a lot more frequently. 
It's really interesting to see the role of push notifications, other forms of authentication um, in the customer relationship with their financial services provider. Um, so, so which authentication methods are most widely in use at the moment? And how is this likely to evolve as more innovative technologies are adopted? Yeah, so it's apparent that financial institutions are still very dependent on the traditional knowledge-based authentication mechanisms. So we found that most banks still relied on either a secret question and answer, such as, you know, what high school did you go to? What's your mother's maiden name? What's your pet's name? Or a password as part of their authentication process. Now, typically banks don't exclusively rely on these factors in isolation, and that's predominantly due to open banking regulations. So in Europe, we've got the Revised Payment Services Directive, otherwise known as PSD2, which actually mandates the use of multi-factor authentication. And with that in mind, it seems that the majority of respondents of our survey, so 43% of banks in this instance, are actually using SMS authentication as a way of meeting these requirements. And SMS is actually an interesting choice. And, you know, from what I can gather, SMS seems like the path of least resistance to compliance because, you know, it's largely easily easy to implement. It doesn't require integrating any new technology. The users will normally have phones capable of receiving text messages. But the only problem with SMS is that it isn't particularly secure. So the whole SMS network is actually unencrypted and unsecured, meaning anyone can read your one-time passwords that are being sent back and forth if they really wanted to. And also SIM swapping is a huge problem. So SIM swapping is essentially where I can socially engineer a telecommunications provider into giving me someone else's SIM card. In doing that, I can actually take control of their number and maliciously redivert any text messages or calls to the new SIM that I've procured. So actually what I think we're going to see is a lot of banks have chosen this path of least resistance to compliance because it's cheapest in the short term. But I think we're going to find that it's more expensive in the long term because fraud rates are going to go up. We're going to see that damage to reputation as a result of increasing fraud and that loss of trust as well. So it's almost a bit of a false economy to use these insecure authentication mechanisms. So what I think we're going to see is obviously the implementation of stronger authentication mechanisms, such as hardware tokens or software tokens, which currently 23% of banks are using. And, and looking even further forward, we're going to increasingly see the use of behavioral biometrics to authenticate the user passively behind the scenes. Yeah, and, and that, that links very nicely onto our next question, um, which is about behavioural biometrics. Um, what role do they play in the customer journey um, and how can they help to reduce risk? Yeah, so behavioural biometrics, essentially they act like a normal biometric. So if you imagine a, a, a face ID scan, it basically can identify the user based on their face and it can also authenticate them or a fingerprint scan can authenticate the user and in some cases identify the user based on their fingerprint. And it's the same with voice. Now, behavioral biometrics work slightly differently in that they're considered a passive biometric. So in the digital realm, we have the ability to collect thousands of pieces of information about the user's interaction. So when a user logs into internet banking or mobile banking, you can collect information about their device, their location and their behavior. So their device might tell you, for example, that they're on a Windows laptop 
running Google Chrome, uh, a specific version with specific browser plugins. And you can essentially then identify if you've seen that device before or if it's a completely unknown device. The location, you can start analyzing where that user's actually logging in from. You know, and where was the last time that they actually logged in from? Does that user typically roam? Are they typically someone that travels abroad on work trips? Or potentially are they on vacation? And the behavioral aspect of that actually looks more specifically at you know, how the user is interacting with that digital service. How are they moving the mouse? How are they typing on the keyboard? If they're on a smartphone, what angle are they holding the smartphone at? How much pressure are they exerting when they, smart on the, when they swipe on the screen um, when they're approving a transaction? So behavioral biometrics can essentially cluster all of this information together to build up a persona of the user behind the scenes. And the way in which they can reduce risk is they can very, very accurately identify if it really is that user logging in or if it's someone acting on behalf of that user. So just because someone's given in a username and password doesn't mean for sure that it's that user. If someone logs in with D Stevenson and enters my password, sure, it might be me, but it could also be someone that's fished my credentials. It could also be you know, someone that has potentially extracted my credentials with a keylogger or some financial malware, or maybe even as simple as someone that's looked over my shoulder whilst I've been on a train logging into my internet banking and got my credentials that way. Now, behavioral biometrics would detect that different behavior, that different device, that different location. And ultimately, they can help reduce the risk by detecting these differences, these deviations from the norm, and then potentially stepping the user up to the more traditional authentication mechanisms if needed. For example, sending a push notification if we detect the users in a different location, for example. Right. So, I mean, it's incredible. There are so many data points that can combine for that behavioural ID verification um, far beyond what we're, what we're normally accustomed to as banking customers. Um, so how are FIs using authentication technologies to ensure compliance with regulations such as Know Your Customer, KYC, anti-money laundering legislation, AML, um, and the GDPR as well? So these are three very hot topics in the banking space at the moment. You know, when it comes to know your customer, KYC, and anti-money laundering, AML legislation, this is about being 100% sure that your customer is who they're claiming to be at the time of account opening. You know, these laws are really designed to ensure that fraudsters and criminals can't open an account. And also that, you know, someone acting on behalf of someone else can't open an account on their behalf with malicious intent. Now, one of the reasons that banks stuck with an in-branch onboarding process for so long is because it's always been a challenge to prove someone's identity in a situation where you don't have that face-to-face -face contact with them. You know, we spoke about digital onboarding earlier. You know, you, you can scan a driver's license and a passport in an app, and then you can take a selfie. Well, what's stopping me from stealing someone's driver's license and passport and then using their Facebook profile photo to open an account? Well, actually, the evolution of these digital onboarding technologies through the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning are able to accurately do those liveness checks to ensure that you can't use a still photo. They're able to cross-reference that selfie with the photograph that's delivered in the documentation as well. So, you know, increasingly the technology is becoming more and more reliable and able to guarantee compliance with the local KYC and AML legislation. 
So, you know, it's really the adoption of those uh, digital onboarding technologies that you know, banks are using to remain compliant with that area. And when it comes to GDPR, you know, it's a slightly separate theme, but, you know, GDPR, the general data protection regulation is really about keeping customer data safe. Legislators have been handing out record fines in the last few years for companies that have failed to protect their customer data. So it's really, really important that FIs and actually businesses in general keep their customer data secure. In fact, I was reading an article the other day where it was pointed out that 81% of data breaches were as a direct result of stolen or weak passwords. This means that 81% of companies could have avoided leaking their customer data if they had used a multi-factor authentication or risk-based authentication approach. So really we're seeing the adoption of not just multi-factor authentication, but also risk-based authentication for companies that are looking for compliance with the GDPR and looking to avoid those, those uh, potentially massive fines that are occurring. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame that um, on many occasions uh, it takes, you know, a, a customer data breach and all of the damage that comes with that um, for banks and FIs to, to really start considering um, what they're going to do in terms of authentication, how they can upgrade their technologies in order to secure customer data. Um, so, so if our listeners want to learn more about HID, um, where can we send them? You can find the report that I referenced during today's discussion at hidglobal.com forward slash fstech. Brilliant. Um, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today, but thank you so much um, to Dean uh, for your, your insights. And it's been great having you on the FS Tech podcast. I've learned a lot and uh, I look forward to welcoming you back on a future episode. Many thanks, Dean. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me, Hannah. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech podcast.